これがビデオゲームの最新鋭機種だスペースミッションエスケープマンコピーバーグなどなど君はこの新しさに遭遇したかバンダイアルカディア Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. I like the energy you brought into this. I, like, hey, yeah. everybody. <laughs> you know, I had my cup of coffee this morning and, uh, <laughs> and it still works to this evening. Yeah. Well, we could be recording in the morning. People don't know what time of day it is. It's not early. No, it's not early. Or perhaps it is early. Perhaps it is so late that it is, in fact, early. But anyway, I try to bring energy to most episodes that we do, especially episodes about topics like this one. This is an exciting episode that we're going to be talking about a very interesting console. But before we get to the topic at hand, Zach, what have you been playing recently? Seth, recently I've been playing the Anacrisis, or Anacrisis. I'm not exactly sure how you say the name. It's a first-person shooter developed and published by Stray Bombay, and it came out, kind of, uh, in terms of early release uh, last year in 2022. Though it is due to be fully released in a few days as of the recording of this episode, I believe on the 19th of 2023, January. The game is a four-player cooperative first-person shooter set aboard a starship stranded in space. And basically, it's left for dead but with a 1970s slash star trek coat of paint on it and it's a pretty fun game so far i've played um one mission with a couple of my friends and basically the game plays very similarly to left for dead you go from point a to point b and uh those points are safe rooms and you fight monsters that come in the way however the game does have some unique differences to left for dead for one there isn't ammo per se there are recharge points because your weapons are battery powered because they are space weapons also the various upgrades you get are through what are called matter compilers so you go to these special stations that you encounter and you go onto the matter compiler and you have a choice of three options they could be a perk to your character a perk to the whole team or a weapon upgrade and sometimes you get things like turning a single fire pistol into a burst fire or making enemies explode if they are low on health and doing damage to other enemies around them them or uh, picking up weapons that are time-based. There are weapons like a stasis gun, where if you shoot people with it, they slow down in time, but you don't. You go at normal speed. So there's all these kind of like spacey sci-fi stuff on it, and I think it, it makes a unique sort of game. But the game does have this kind of 1970s vibe, and I would say kind of like a classic Trek vibe to it, where um, everything is very like retrofuturism with like dials and switches and like reel-to-reel computers. And there are um, specifically in the space there are i believe they're called like lounge pits there this there was this thing in the 70s where like in the houses they would have like a depressed part of the floor that would be a couch um so it looked like a pit and you would sit in it and they fell out of style because they're very dangerous because people would fall into the pits and get hurt but the starship is full of them <laughs> because it's 1970s in space but it, it just got it just has a great kind of aesthetic to it but it's a it's a good time i like playing it and i'm looking forward to playing it more 
I will say there is a bit of early access jank to it. There was this like one part where me and my friends got a little lost because we didn't exactly know where to go. And we stumbled on an area that I don't think we were supposed to go. And all of the monsters spawned behind one wall and they couldn't get out. So... There was just like hundreds of monsters behind a wall and they couldn't get us. And it was very funny. Uh, so there's like kind of like jank like that, but they have been updating the game on a pretty regular basis. Uh, there was a patch last time I played it. So I'm sure by the time it was released, it'll be a little bit more ironed out. And I'm sure even by the time of uh, people actually wanting to buy the game, it will be even more ironed out. But that is the Anacrusis or An Anacrusis. And yeah, Seth, what about you? What have you been playing? Recently, I was playing the game I Am Jesus Christ, the prologue. It is being developed by Simulam and being published by Playway SA, which are the same publishers who published games like House Flipper. The game I Am Jesus Christ is due out in quarter two of this year, 2023. However, the I Am Jesus Christ, the prologue is a standalone game and the introduction to the full version of I Am Jesus Christ. In the game, you play as Jesus, and you have to follow along of the story of Jesus while being told the story of Jesus through somebody reading passages of the scripture. So I explained it to Zach. It's kind of like if you took Skyrim-like graphics and you layered on a Morrowind-like dialogue and then you themed that game about the bible that is close to what i am jesus christ is i so i played a little bit of the game uh, i got to a part that was kind of difficult and i'll get into that but i i played the first i guess mission you start off as jesus in bed and you <laughs> <laughs> Don't and we you, all? <laughs> and you get a you get a message from an angel telling you to go find John the Baptist. So you have to go and tell your parents, Mary and Joseph, that you need to find John the Baptist. And you tell your father Joseph, and he says, "Go talk to your mother." And then you tell Mary, and she said, "Ah, yes, we've also been visited by angels. You should go to town to talk about the, the to some fruit vendor who knows about John, which is great." So then you walk, run, leap over fences to get to where the town is, where there's a bunch of NPCs that you can talk to. And they all have varying different thoughts, but you can only really say like one line or you can say like dot, dot, dot. Like you just kind of like leave the conversation. Like you don't have a lot of choices. You can't change, I guess, how the Bible unfolds. <laughs> It'd be great if there was like, if there is an alternate ending to the Bible. <laughs> I really enjoyed, I talked to one of the shopkeepers and I said, do you know about about John the Baptist and they said yeah I don't like him yeah I think that's a theme in the Bible isn't it people don't like John the Baptist no some of them did like him some of the tavern some of the some people didn't really didn't like, like him. him and then he got his head chopped off that's true that's that does happen <laughs> to him then after you find out that there's a man that's known as John Baptist's ally uh you get to go talk to him and then prepare for your journey which needs to happen in the morning so then you go back to your mother Mary to report in about everything and then she says go to bed <laughs> so you say okay. <laughs> so you say okay and then you open your door and then it is the next day but it's not morning when you're supposed to go it's the night and that's when you start your journey to go find John the Baptist, because now it's an evening thing, I guess. I didn't really, I got confused at this part, why it was evening when it, when we were talking about a morning journey. But anyway, you then get a couple of berries from this guy, and then you go off to find John the Baptist. You then 
have oh jesus has a hunger meter (laughs) (laughs) that's slowly depreciates and he he can only eat berries in the part that i've got to so his hunger he slowly gets hungry but he gets hungry very fast yeah jesus is a hungry man he's walking around (laughs) all day so he's just walking around and his hunger meter just slowly and you have to like just pound berries back um and you find like these bushes um and you have to like just pick a bunch of berries while having the scripture told to you and eventually you find john doing the baptizing and you have there's all these cutscenes that are strange they're like in-game powerpoint presentations good that are animated but they're they're very strange but after you get baptized by john uh you have to go do the 40 days in the desert so you go out in the desert and there's another powerpoint presentation where it has like this man who is supposed to be i'm guessing satan trying to tempt you to eat his he has like a picnic basket and he's trying to tempt you to eat his picnic basket but there's also like this evil shadowy creature behind him and then came the part where you are in the desert and you have to you are hungry because you are fasting and you have to go to the prayer circles to continue to fuel your energy and it kind of becomes like superman 64 where you have to get to the circles except they're on the ground and you have to walk to them once you're in the circles uh you eventually get to the part of the bible where it's day 37 of jesus's time in the fasting where the holy spirit comes to visit and decides to train him for combat so the holy spirit teaches you about how you can pray to gain prayer energy and then use said prayer energy to either reflect missiles at you or shoot a beam of power to grapple people closer to you then you train with the holy spirit for combat and then uh, another powerpoint presentation happens where a bunch of people are like well they're not a bunch of people they're just a bunch of different voices that are all satan kind of like taunting you and fighting you and then you go to hell and you have to fight satan using your newfound powers though satan is a couple of balls of light and you have to reflect his fireballs at him and use your grappling a laser beam to fight him which you know is is a really important part of the bible i didn't do so well in this because it's actually really tough because every time you use your beam to bring him closer your prayer diminishes and every time you use your reflector fireball power your prayer diminishes and then you have to refresh but every time you try to refresh satan just like shoots a bunch of fireballs at you and then you die uh so when i played the game i got to the part of the bible where Jesus goes toe-to-toe with Satan, but I died. Prior to even the 40 days and the whole cross thing and all that jazz. Anyway, there's not enough, I guess, heresy to go around already. Yeah, so that was uh, I Am Jesus Christ prologue, which is a, um, a telling of the Bible. Yeah, sounds wonderful. Well, with that, we're we're getting into a topic that is definitely in a different ballpark uh, because we're talking about a video game console today. Uh, A console that is kind of obscure but it wouldn't be classic gaming brothers if it wasn't obscure and that console is the arcadia 2001 yeah it's uh so obscure that zach said we're gonna talk about the arcadia 2001 today seth and i said what is that and if you're asking the same question what is that well buckle up we're about to tell you 
We're going to tell you. The Arcadia 2001 was developed by Emerson Radio Corporation back in 1982. Emerson Radio itself has quite the history, so we're going to get all into it. The original company was called Emerson Phonograph Company. It was incorporated in 1915 in New York City. It was founded by Victor Hugo Emerson, a former employee of Columbia Records. And in the 1920s, they opened up their first factories in Boston and Chicago, and quickly were impacted by a massive decline in sales of phonograph records due to the post-World War One recession. So uh, keep that in mind. Emerson uh, will, will have, Emerson will have some reoccurring bad timing <laughs> in this episode. Now, in the 1920s, the company passed to uh, Benjamin Abrams and Benjamin and his brothers renamed the company to Emerson Radio and Phonograph Company. And they did so because they were going to start working on radios as the radio business was looking like a pretty strong prospect for them. Now, some early notable creations of the Emerson Company were one of the first ever radio phonograph combination units, as well as peewee radio units, which became popular during the Great Depression. Uh, now, peewee radios were, as the name imply, very small, inexpensive radios that you could buy. They The company kind of limped through World War One and obviously the the, the post war era after World War One. Then World War Two happened, which is what happens after World War One. This time, Emerson Radio and Phonograph said, "Wait a minute. You know, the last time around, we did not capitalize enough on military tech and military dollars. So let's instead." of trying to sell our creations to people who have no money after going through a war, let's sell it to the military. So they focused on making radios for the military. And in 1943, they officially became a public corporation and offered 40% of their stock for $12 a share. By the time the war had ended, they had gotten into the early television market selling 10-inch tube TVs, and they still struggled, however, to keep up with other bigger-named companies during this era, like RCA. Because when you think about a television company, you think of companies like Magnavox and RCA, not Emerson. No. Emerson's still around, though. Well, yeah. These, these, I... RCA and Magvon, so I think are still are they're probably owned they're subsidiaries, I think now. In the nineteen fifties, Emerson began to take on other projects, such as air conditioning through the purchase of Quiet Heat. They also acquired Dumont Laboratories in nineteen fifty-eight, which gave them access to higher priced lines of televisions, phonographs, and high fidelity stereo equipment. By the nineteen sixties and nineteen seventies, they continued to produce radios, televisions, and phonographs. They also dabbled in home recording equipment such as tape recorders, and they also were working on medical devices such as pacemakers and funding the development of CAT scanners. They were generally one of these large American-based electronic goods manufacturer, which we had a bunch of. And yeah. these guys were like, well, if we can make X technology, radio, we can probably make other X technologies because we know manufacturing and we know like circuits and like we know how to make things yeah. run. There was a lot of these manufacturers out there who were like they just rolled on whatever the newest electronic goods was and they made it maybe not so good maybe not so great or maybe maybe it was all right but they you know there was companies that would do all these they would spread their essentially they would spread their all their eggs so that they weren't tied specifically to one particular technology because they also knew even you know even then that technologies would come and go there was still a market for phonographs but they the market was probably not as great as it was when the technology right. was new so they 
kind of needed to continue to spread out and do different things. I think also another thing that they had going for them was while Emerson was never like top of the line in terms of the phonograph and radios out there, they still were doing well enough in this uh, booming industry that they could afford to take on smaller companies that were failing. So like Dumont Laboratories wasn't doing very hot when they acquired them or Quiet Heat were a failing company when they acquired them. So I think Emerson saw these essentially dying companies and were like, hey, we'll take you on and we'll just take your stuff and make it <laughs> sell it make it better and, and you know if it doesn't work out we'll sell those portions off and make the money back so and i think that was the time to do it for them i think that they uh you know they might not have become an uh, a, an air conditioning company but in the 1960s air conditioning was the or 1950s air conditioning was the way to go so they probably were like hey let's see how hvac goes and then they that didn't last long as a point emerson it, this is the same emerson that would go on to become Emerson, isn't this an Emerson Electric? Oh, they sell those the stinking clocks, the clock radios. Yeah, that was their big thing. The little like little black ones with the red dials. Now, in the 1980s, they started to create VCRs and also dabbled for the first time in the world of the home video game market with the creation of the Arcadia 2001, which officially was released in May of 1982 for a price point of $199, or about $614 today, and was quickly dropped to $99, or about $305 today. Yeah. I think it's important to know that, and I think we'll talk about this a little bit, uh, that the Arcadia 2001 was really designed to be an Atari killer, the Atari 2600 specifically. The it was uh, 1977 was when the Atari 2600 came out, and 1982 was when the uh, Arcadia 2001 came out, and they were specifically targeting the VCS, the Atari 2600, because the uh, 5300 hadn't dropped yet, and they were like, "We're going to be an Atari killer. We're going to make a better system." And we're going to sell it for the same exact price. Now, the system itself, to describe it, kind of looks like I would describe like an old conference phone. I could see it sitting on the desk at someone's office, like in, in a conference room, and for people to completely ignore it. Yeah, I think the only thing that really sticks out about it is that it, the controllers have joysticks at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That make it look like it's a conference telephone with nipples. <laughs> <laughs> it also has a cartridge slot, which most conference phones do not have. So if Cyclops was a conference phone with nipples. <laughs> <laughs> The system itself came with two controllers that are actually, I would say, like, identical to the controllers that are featured on the Intellivision, complete with the 12-button pad and with corded cables. The major difference, though, is, as we've been joking about, they have joysticks on them, where the Intellivision just had an un really uncomfortable disc. So, it's like they took a joystick and they stuck it on the center of those uncomfortable discs, and they were like, this is the system. This is how we get it to go. <laughs> I really feel like they, they sat down at the drawing board and they said, who do we want to copy? And they said, well, we, we really think the Intellivision and the Atari VCS, which were the market leaders, are the people that we need to copy. But the way that they got it to market was just a little too late. These guys were trying to make something that was going to beat the 2600, but like Atari and those guys were working on what's coming next. What is interesting, though, is from a lot of reviews, there are some like quality of life positive 
items about it. Uh, one being that it has a very long RF cable, about 12 feet, which is incredibly long for that era. Where like the Atari 2600's RF cable uh, is like four feet or five feet. So you could plug it into your TV and essentially put it near your lap, which was useful. There's a lot of buttons on the actual system that might come in handy um so uh it's kind of it was that era where you actually kind of wanted to have the system closer to you i i can't get over the fact that the uh the controllers just look like telephones that also had braided cord that came off of it like yeah they do it's not a great design and the thing is like this is the thing that people will go like it was the like early 80s late 70s like they they designed it based on like what was like in style and no the atari 2600 came out like we said five years before this and the atari 2600 looks like a video game system it's got the the faux wood paneling which is fun and it's got a joystick and one button because the games that were coming out required a joystick and one button i don't feel like that there was many games that were released on the Acadia 2001 that required more than one button. <laughs> there are barely games on the Intellivision or the ColecoVision that required more than one button, and those also came with this ugly joypad. Yeah, but I feel like they if they were going to copy a market leader and try to be the Atari VCS killer, they should have made their console look better. This was also an era when people were competing. They weren't trying to compete with necessarily the the thing that was selling the best which is the dumb decision number one they were trying to compete with the thing that was superior so the intellivision is arguably more powerful than the atari yes so people were more enticed by the Intellivision and thus arcadia wanted to model it more on the intellivision despite the fact that the intellivision was not as popular as the Atari. It was this weird era where I think everyone was copying the, for the wrong reasons. Yeah, and I, I feel like, especially since we, we talk later about their system specs and all that, I think it was definitely like people were trying to get their... Even down to like where when the 3DO came out many, many years later, like the 3DO came out as something that was like, hey, I have better specs, like system specs than my competition. You should buy me because of those system specs. And it tends that that's not the case. Like it's really, I feel like the marketing of these video game companies that really pushes the systems to where they can really, really sell well. That was X. Since we're talking about specs, what did the Arcadia 2 2001 have yeah so if you if you popped that puppy open you looked at the insides you would see that it was running a Signetics 2650 cpu clocked in at 3.58 megahertz the Signetics cpu i was looking it up is nothing too crazy i don't know why they weren't using like a more common cpu at the time but whatever does the job i guess and the system only had one kilobyte of ram now the system using only one kilobyte of ram is notable because the advertisements for the console claimed that it had 24 kilobytes of ram this was what we call a lie the advertisement campaign claimed the system was more powerful than it really was and that's 
just, just yeah, they basically just lied. The machine itself would take ROM cartridges, uh, and the cartridges kind of look like, uh, I would say, oversized Atari 2600 cartridges. I often see Arcadia 2001 game cartridges for sale at retro game stores, usually in the same place as Atari cartridges are stored, usually for the same price, depending on the game. So uh, I would say they're comparable, not only in size, but also just in, in general appearance. Uh, the cartridges are also these kind of kind of a black color but they have rainbow lettering on the label for the name of the game which does make them stand out a bit more the system itself would also only be able to display eight colors which is uh, a little abysmal uh, compared to what would come just a few years later but at the same time you know, hey, it's what it could do. Uh, now, for the games that are available um, on the Arcadia 2001, the plan was to launch the system with 19 games and include some lesser-known arcade titles like Jump Bug and Route 16, which had not yet been ported to other systems. Emerson also planned to release versions of Pac-Man, Galaxian, and Defender. However, Atari threatened to sue any company that was releasing games that they had the rights agreements with, so Emerson decided to instead clone them. So instead of Breakout, they called, they made a game that was essentially Breakout, but they called it Breakaway. I think some of the clones are literally just title screen, like title name clones. Like some yeah. of them, I don't think they changed. <laughs> yeah. And video gaming was such in the infancy that they could, they got, I mean, they could get away with it because they could be like, if they went to court, they could just be like, oh no, our game's called Breakaway. And it would, it would be a little bit while longer before the courts kind of caught up with how to actually properly process a video game suit. Other titles that they had on the the Arcadia 2001 included Robot Killer, which was a, a clone of Berserk. There was Turtles, which was a 1981 puzzle game by Konami. 3D Attack, which was a, a clone of Zaxxon. Alien Vaders, which was a clone of Space Invaders. And Red Clash, which was a space shooter that was only listed as coming soon in magazines, but was released and Currently, Red Clash is the most expensive game for the system today. Uh, a complete version is right around $700, as do that there's only about 20 copies that may be in existence. Not a lot of people collect for the Arcadia 2001, so that's why it's only $700, where if a SNES game only released 20 copies, they would go for millions of dollars. Uh, Arcadia systems, by the way, sell for about a hundred bucks a pop like the system itself sells for about a hundred dollars so it's it's certainly an easy system to collect for if you really want to get yeah, into if you it. really want to get into emerson arcadia 2001 collections your biggest expense will probably be red clash though i would say the best game in my opinion is a clone of the game tank battalion and they decided to call it on the arcadia 2001 tanks a lot which is an amazing clone name and Honestly, if you had to clone a game about tanks, I would call it tanks a lot too. It's just such a good name. It is a really good name. I feel like it's it's kind of like that guy who did like uh, the satire of Starbucks, the dumb Starbucks. Yeah. And... Where, 
where they were like, well, we got this tank game. We got to pick up a name for it because we're going to literally just clone it. All right, let's call it tanks a lot. And they're like, that's good enough for us. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like to me the name of a World War II era comedy film by the Marx Brothers. Oh, yeah, that, that would be. Yeah. In total, there were about 35 games released for the Arcadia 2001 during its albeit short life with some additional games being released for clones of the Arcadia 2001. Now, the Arcadia 2001 did not sell very well at all. While early reviews of the systems were slightly positive, with some people complimenting the Intellivision-style controller, the system would ultimately only last 18 months before it was discontinued. Uh, We're not actually able to find any official numbers on how many units were sold, but with only a little over a year for it to be on the market, and with the much more powerful ColecoVision releasing in August of the same year, and the Atari 5200 Super System being released the November of that year, and the NES coming the following year, and the video game crash going on. There was a lot of stuff going up against the Arcadia 2001. Another major issue that they encountered beyond all of the things that we just mentioned was that there was a complete lack of third-party developers. So there was nobody creating, like EA wasn't making games for them, or any like any of those guys weren't making any sort of additional games for them, so they had to rely on all first-party stuff. And if they were cloning games that were already out there in existence they weren't very creative i'm guessing right and also if they weren't good at it they're probably garbage Right. The system would have go on to become a discarded tech, which would be found at the bottom of bargain bins and would be going down to the prices of a, of just $100 a system, where the ColecoVision would be launching at store shelves for $175, and the Atari 5200 Super System would be hitting MSRP at $299. And like we said uh, the market would go on to crash in 1983 where nobody was buying any of these systems (laughs) yeah Uh, until the nintendo would hit our shelves and we would recover back from the video game crash i would say that the arcadia 2001 does have a bit of an odd legacy because there were a ton of clones so for a system that was barely around for a little over a year there were 35 or more clones of the system that were released worldwide uh these were clones that were from what i can tell officially sanctioned by emerson some of them don't look to be officially sanctioned though um and they were mostly compatible with each other with some being built on different architectures but looking nearly identical to the to the Arcadia. In Japan, the system was released as a essentially a clone by Bandai, just being called the Arcadia, the Bandai Arcadia, and did have some exclusive Japanese games to it. There were also multiple versions of the system released by uh, companies in Germany, Italy, France, and Sweden, uh, respectively the Polybrain video computer game in Germany, the Leonardo in Italy, the Prestige video computer game in France, and the AdVision Home Arcade in Sweden. And at the moment, there is only one Emerson Arcadia 2001 emulator. It's called 2001. 
by Paul Robson. Emulating the Arcadia has proven to be a very difficult task due to just a general lack of knowledge about the system, but the emulator has shown promise, and I'm sure as the years progress and as people learn more about the system just through general interest, the emulation will get better and better as things age. Um, And in terms of Emerson today, they don't really talk about the Arcadia much. They're not putting out like Arcadia minis, but they are still around. They actually sell assorted consumer electronics, though they've kind of been best known, I think, for clock radios, uh, specifically ones that have like weird dials and stuff on them. They just have like futuristic looking tech right now. If you go to their website, you can buy like a clock radio, a cell phone charger, and a toaster all on the same page. They got a whole bunch of stuff. And with that, that will do it for the Arcadia 2001. Uh, We're now going to get ourselves into the Retro Rewind. Uh, So Seth had me play Pulse Man for the Sega Genesis slash Mega Drive. Pulse Man is an action platformer developed by Game Freak, who are not as well known for Pulse Man, but are very well known for Pokemon. Uh, The game was actually released in the US, uh, though most people might tell you it's only a Japanese exclusive, because it was only released on the Sega channel in 1995 in the US, which is a bummer, because it's actually a pretty cool game. I can see it as one of those games that maybe Seth and I would have rented, they'll probably never owned. Um, like, it's just too cool for us. Like Rocket Knight, you know, it's just too cool for us. In the game, you play as a character named Pulse Man, uh, who can shoot lightning and also turn into a kind of like a ball of energy if he runs real fast and you press the right button. It's a pretty fun game, uh, though it is pretty tough. I died quickly because I couldn't really quite figure out the controls right away. And then once I did figure them out, I still got my butt handed to me by some fairly easy to beat enemies. And yeah, I'm kind of bummed it never got a release in the US as a cartridge because it would have been cool to, to, to have as a kid, though I'm sure reproductions are a plenty as the game is available to be found on the internet. I also am pretty sure it was released officially on the Sega Mini recently uh, as part of their kind of like, let's put some games on here that never saw US release sort of deal. Anyway, that's Pulse Man. I liked it. I would probably play it again. And who knows, maybe I'll pick up a repro cart someday. Or if I'm ever in Japan, I'll pick up a cartridge. Though I think it's kind of pricey because it's a sought after game. Uh, Next week, Seth, I want you to play a game called Smart Ball for the Super Nintendo. Sounds fun. Well, Zach had me play Asterix and the Great Rescue for the Sega Genesis, released in 1993, which is a game that we owned as uh, children, and Zach still owns the original cartridge, uh, though it's loose. He has lost all of the corresponding materials. Pretty sure it came in a cardboard box, so... Um... You choose the beginning of each level to play as either uh, Asterix, who is a short, gall man with with blonde hair and a, a big blonde mustache, and a winged helmet, or... Uh, you play as Oblix, who is a tall, large man with red hair, who is also Gaul. Um, they are Gaulish because uh, this takes place during the Roman occupation of Gaul, which is now modern-day France. And so it's Asterix and Oblix is very popular in France. And since our podcast is in English, I don't know how many French people listen, but they... They do like their asterisks and obelisks. Yeah, they have a theme park over there. Not as popular here as it is there. <laughs> Which is funny because last episode you said it is more popular than Tintin here. I just like the con- I like the idea that Asterix is not popular here, but it is more popular than Tintin. <laughs> Correct. I would ar- I would say that's probably accurate. No, and it probably is. I just think it's funny. I, yeah, under the degrees of popularity, I would put Tintin under 
Asterix and Obelix, and Asterix and Obelix can be under, I don't know, Garfield? (laughs) 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 They're all, like, originally, 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 like, newspaper comics, aren't they? Most of them. Even Tintin had, like, newspaper placement. Yeah. Uh, The game is a uh, side-scrolling platformer where you go left to right across the map, and you have to try to get to your, the, the, the potion, because there's a magical potion that they drink in the cartoons and comics that allows them to punch romans very effectively and makes them like super powered i enjoyed it it's it's a pretty good platformer mascot platformer the levels are pretty short so you feel like you're making like progress playing the game and they aren't too difficult which makes me happy i was playing on easy because i'm lame but i i had a fun time and i was like i was going through the game and i was i was enjoying it i was able to accomplish things so does it hold up i think it does for a solid like 16-bit platformer i think it does hold up and the controls are tight everything works good you know it's just a very european themed game uh which may not appeal to it may not appeal to the american audience so play as you will next week zach you can play rex ronin experimental surgeon for the snes amazing thank you seth yes well if you want to tell us all about how much you love the arcadia 2001 or how all the information that we provided was absolutely fake you can send us an email at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com and also visit our website at classicgamingbrothers.com and you can check us out on facebook instagram twitch and twitter our facebook instagram and twitch are classic gaming brothers our twitter is cg brothers pod we're available on all the available podcasting applications out there podbean stitcher iHeartRadio, what have you check us out let your friends know that you love us give us uh ratings and five stars and yada yada that would be great anyway with that that's all i have to say seth do you have anything to contribute don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been seth and i have been zach and we've been the classic gaming brothers that's right right.